put your arm around him and say, like, listen, son, let's look at this problem together. There was a mistake made here. So instead of it being you versus them, it's you and them versus the problem. And when they see you as an ally and them being better, it's a totally different thing than, oh, my dad's an asshole and he doesn't listen to me and he doesn't understand. I understand. I, I love you. You made a mistake here. We don't love this mistake. What can we do together to overcome whatever this challenge is? Hey, what's up, friends? I'm Vince Del Monte, father, husband, and the OG of online fitness marketing. For more than a decade, I've been committed to helping skinny guys pack on muscle. And after building multiple seven-figure online fitness businesses, I've achieved freedom and financial security through mentorship, hard work, and my passion for fitness. And I want to help you do the same. Recently, I've built the best mastermind coaching program that exists for fitness professionals by giving you the shortest no BS path to grow to six, seven, and even eight figures regardless of your starting level. My coaching was designed to give you the skills, systems, and support to become an industry mover and shaker and build the business and life of your dreams. Hey, what's up, friends? Today is our seventh episode of our Mondays with Men of Bedrock. We're talking to men who live the bedrock life. Everything on purpose, consistency, masculinity, leadership, nothing knocks them off their path as they lead themselves and their families. And this is another highly applicable and highly engaging conversation with another man who embodies the bedrock life. Dennis Moralda is the founder and CEO of Building Men, a movement that is committed to helping men become the best versions of themselves. Dennis works with other men to equip them with character, integrity, strength, compassion, and empathy. My brother Adrian and I met men's coach Dennis Morauda a few weeks ago when he had us on his podcast. We got to talk about the power of character and becoming a man of your word. In this week's conversation, Dennis joins Adrian on my show to talk about something a lot of people have an opinion about, the state of, as they call it, kids today. <laughs> They get into whether children are too entitled, too afraid of failure, and not disciplined enough. This is really excellent stuff. They even share a story about when Adrian and I found a huge bag of porn in the forest behind our house when we were kids and what we learned from that. But mostly, this is a conversation between two dads who are committed to modeling vulnerability, empathy, responsibility, and being fully connected to their kids. You're going to enjoy this a lot. Adrian, Dennis, take it away, guys. Thanks, Vince. I am here with Dennis, and we are ready to have a great conversation about building men. Dennis, welcome to the Vince Del Monte Podcast Show. Are you ready to rock? What is up, Adrian? I am absolutely <laughs> ready to rock and roll. Let's go. So I got to start here. When you were on Vince's show with us, you teased out your love of Napoleon Dynamite. And when Napoleon Dynamite came out, I was, uh, I don't know what year it was, but I was like in university, early university. Tell me what you love about this guy, Napoleon. Like, like my students haven't heard of him, right? So he's kind of gone. He's had his day. What did you love about him at the time? Well, not just Napoleon Dynamite, Adrian, just the whole Napoleon Dynamite universe. There's so many unbelievable characters. Uncle Rico, Kip, Deb, even, even Don who's Summer Wheatley's boyfriend, like how he does the whole shirt pulling thing when she's up on stage doing the Backstreet Boys dance when it's her turn, Pedro. Like, gr th there's just so many great pieces of that. But for me, the thing about Napoleon, he's it's just a true underdog story. I mean, it's one thing to to really resonate with, with Rocky Balboa or Rudy, but to have the dorky kid who wears moon boots and has the, you know, the red Afro kind of thing going on, um to to come from you know from his his spot and he wins over the audience and the big dance off at the end i just i love the story i there's so many there's so many pieces in that story that resonate with me too um and as a middle school assistant principal i actually did the napoleon dynamite dance in front of an audience of about 700 seventh graders uh well here's the thing it was i want to say it was 2007 and it was before the kids had like yeah, yeah. cameras on their cell phones. So they there there was a recording of it. I've actually reached back out to the school. It was Bordentown Regional Middle School in 2007, the talent show. And I had um, uh, Brianna Hudick. She was the, the uh, president of the student council that year. And I pulled her aside and I said, Brianna, here's what I need you to do. During the talent show, go up at the very end and say, and now we have a, sh a skit by Pedro Sanchez. 
And then I'm going to come out. And she's like, what are you going to do, Mr. Merald? I'm like, I'm going to do the dance. And she's like, get out of here. So the kids had no idea, but I practiced for about a month and a half to get ready for it. And I did, I, you know, I did a pretty, pretty good job doing the Napoleon Dynamite dance. But you know what? This is like, so the other day in class, I'm a teacher as well, full-time teacher taught for, I was in my class for six hours today teaching. It's not like I part-time do it. Like I'm a full-time teacher and you try to stay relevant with the kids. And the other day I said something like, how's your dating life? Are you guys chatting online every day for about two hours? Right. (laughs) Which, And they look at me like, who is this? Like, what? Like, what do you say? So I, I, I think part of it is you're trying to stay a little bit current so you can build men. Uh, maybe that's a great place to start here. I've heard your story a few times, how this movement that you've started has come to be. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Tell us uh, where Building Men came from. And if, I, if, I, if I've understood some of the other podcasts you've been on correctly, some of it came out of some like failures of in your own life, not, or maybe not failures, but challenges, certainly challenges in your life that brought this to where it is now. So, so give us a bit of the origin story. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to share this story as well. Definitely experienced a lot of challenges growing up in my adolescent time from especially in middle school. I was the I was bullied pretty pervasively and had a had a really challenging relationship with my own father and things that he thought were important um, as far as you need to be the best athlete that you can possibly be. You got to be the ladies man and it's all about making money like that was how I was raised with, you know, in my experience with my father. So I had a lot of challenges and and pitfalls in my upbringing and what my experience taught me was I wanted to help kids in some capacity. I thought it was just teaching and coaching. And when I did my undergraduate program, I studied education and I had a minor in sociology and I played baseball in college. And it was really important to me to be a part of that team, but also in my work um, in sociology as, as a dual major was I worked at a, it was almost a halfway house for young men, Adrian. And it was, Uh, kids were referred to this organization because of the court system. Uh, They were in trouble with the law or because they were the victims of abuse growing up. And so what I did was at this internship, I was also hired as a van driver. So I would go to college all day. And if, if it was in the off season when I wasn't playing baseball, I would get there and I would sign out a van and I would go drive around South Jersey and I would pick up about 12 kids from their high schools And I would bring them back to this location and they were there from like three o'clock until about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. It kept them off the streets it kept them away from the the negative impacts of their home. And what it also did was it provided a community for them. And I learned how to work with kids that were at risk counseling in an individual in a group setting. So that was part of my experience and my backdrop of why I really enjoyed what I was doing. So fast forward, I started teaching in central New Jersey, my first year on the job, my third day teaching was 9-11 in central New Jersey. Wow! And so I was impacted. Kids in my school had family members that died in the attacks in the World Trade Center. Could you see and it? So, I, I don't know. I don't know how close. Like, could you we, see it? we saw smoke from it. Like I could from where I was, you can see the smoke from it. Yep. And and being a teacher my first year at that time, again, recognizing the importance of community building and, and providing a safe space for kids um and also during that time i recognize i love teaching but i also love the leadership role uh and like i had leadership capability so got my my master's degree in educational leadership and started uh as an assistant principal in 2005 in central new jersey and right away when i started i recognized all the shit that i was dealing with as the assistant principal as the disciplinary in the school was with the boys they were, you know, getting in trouble, coming to school late, getting into fights, disrespect. It was just, a, it was a disaster. So I decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something to help them out. So I decided to start a boys group. I called it Building Men, and almost all the boys in the school joined. I had about 200 boys in the school, and almost all of them joined this Building Men program. And we would meet before school uh, once a week for an hour, or once every two weeks for an hour. And so I ran 10 groups of about 20 boys. And it was just a powerful thing. And we set it up in a circle. We had to shake hands with every other person. Like you're meeting your girlfriend's father for the first time. But we talked about real stuff that the kids were going through and things that were they were challenged with as a 13, 14-year-old boy. And one of the first things, and then I'll pause, was I talked to him about, I said, what do you think it is to be a man? Like, 
what is what does masculinity mean what does it mean to be a man and it was the same exact things that my father was telling me the things were important to him it was you need to be bigger faster stronger you need to be able to physically dominate to the quarterback of the football team the best basketball player the toughest kid was a better man then it was sexual conquest how many girls were you banging and how hot were the girls you were banging and then it was financial success so you needed to be making seven figures you needed to have the sneakers the car the house on the hill that meant that you were a better man and these were things that my father was telling me when i was younger that this is what was important and i recognize those things aren't important i helped uh, the young men experience the idea that it's not about extrinsic things it's about who you are as internally so that your character your integrity being accountable to others, self-discipline, perseverance, things like that. Yeah, no, I've heard you talk about it. I thought you said it real well. Like, let's say you 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 blow out your knee, right? Does that mean you're not a man, right? Because right. you can't you can't play basketball anymore. I, I don't. I, before I move on, and and we're gonna come to a lot of what you talked about. I don't want to gloss over the fact that you were running ten groups of twenty boys, like. What how, like every, so? What you had a group every day, sort of? Yeah. Yep. So it was there was five groups of seventh grade boys, five groups of eighth grade boys, um, going back to two thousand and five. How did you and, like what what like that's not paid? And let's let's yeah. be clear, that's not paid hours, right? Those are you don't have to do that. You'd still bring the same paycheck home. What what drove that? Like I I know what that would take. Like an extracurricular, like building from scratch is really really difficult in a sometimes in a teaching climate because things don't change quickly in education. What do you think drove that much? It wasn't one group, like you had all these groups. Yeah, it was um, it recognizing in my experience, coaching um, kids and then also working with that after school program for the young men, they, there was just a need for it. And I, I, I was in a spot agent where I'm like, complaining about oh these kids are such a pain in the ass oh they somebody really needs to do something somebody really needs someone should and i'm like all right somebody needs to do something why can't you do something so if you're going to to put that out there that something needs to be done either do something or shut the hell up and so i had a conversation with myself as the assistant principal it wasn't a paid position and i wasn't going to be like okay mr so-and-so can you run a group I led by example, and that's how I decided to do it. And what happened, which was really cool, was a lot of the guys in the school started coming to the meetings as well. So the male teachers would just show up, and they weren't expecting to be compensated for it, but they saw the this community being built with these kids. And so when they're going through this experience, they were less likely to get involved in the negative things that were going on in school because they felt, one – this level of accountability towards each other in the group, but also they didn't they didn't want to let me down and then and the next step was they didn't want to let themselves down either, which was a really cool thing to see. Yeah, I love that. Now, what I would love to do is talk a little bit about these kids because there's a lot of criticism about young people today by older generations, right? You you referred to like a lot of people say, these kids, they're such a pain yep. in the ass, right? Like these kids, these... you know, it's funny for me, Dennis, I'm sitting in a classroom with my grade 12s and they're like, critical of like the great tens i'm like that was you like 18 months ago right. bro. like what right. do you like did you forget like and, and so what i want to do is pose to you a few statements things that i hear in my world and i think whether you're a parent with kids in this age or maybe you know a lot of vince's audience are men who were living this age like five to ten years ago men in their 20s so i want to pose a few scenarios to you or, or statements to you and you tell me true or false or like yeah not sure if I agree or disagree with that. Number one, kids today are privileged and entitled. And this is where I uh, and I'll say I will say true. Um, I'll I'll balance each one with in most scenarios. So I, like this is like an eighty percenter for me. Like yes, I agree. Why do you say that? I think it's one. There, there's this whole culture of immediate gratification. I think that that is that is absolutely something that, and I don't I don't envy kids having the distraction of the the cell phone the tiktok culture i don't i don't envy that i i'm i'm so happy that i did not grow up in that time frame but i do feel like that is one of those things i, I think it, a lot of it and i'm sure we'll get into it comes down to parenting and and i know for me i've had a lot of difficult conversations with myself around things that i experienced as a kid i didn't want my kids to go through the same experience we want to protect our kids from struggling but by doing so we're giving them 
too much of this like cottony comfortable experience where when are they ever going to learn what they're truly capable of if we're solving all these problems and i do believe that when we're raising kids in that way like they all these things are taken care of for you you don't understand one what you are capable of but then two you're expecting things from other people to do things for you when you need to learn how to do them for yourself is it too simplistic dennis to just point at technology like i'm curious about this like I mean, you and I are, I'm 40. I think you're just ahead of me. But like, is it, we didn't, I grew up with dial-up. I remember we got dial-up, right? Like it was hard to find, use porn as an example. It's like porn on YouTube, right? Like mm -hmm. today, right? Versus like, you had to like maybe find it from, you had to buy, we, I remember the day Vince and I, we were in the forest. We found a big black garbage bag full of like Playboys, right? It like frightened me, right? I wasn't like sick. I was terrified because we'd never seen something like that. So my question is, the technology, is, is that the curse? Like, what's different for this gener this generation? I think it's a, it's a major contributing factor. I, I think it's, it's technology and the way parents are parenting their kids right now. I think that those are the two main things. It's funny you mentioned pornography. I've done, I've done two specific episodes getting deeper into pornography. One, um, we interviewed a guy, his name is Carl Thomas, and he runs a, whole, a program called Triple X Church. And we really get deep into that's the, the name idea. Of the, that's the name of the church. <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's like an organization, but he talks about pornography, like triple X church. Like he was, he was a porn addict and I struggled with pornography as well at points at points in my life. But we talk about like, there was, there was that kid who told you about the, the porn in the woods that was in the black garbage bag. And you have to go in your heart was beating a mile a minute when you're looking at it, but you're with your buddy there. And you're like, wait a second, this is kind of weird. I'm getting a hard on right now. And we're in the woods looking at a, and now kids can just scroll through it. So I think what's happened is it's rewiring our kids' brains to seek that immediate pleasure. So they don't have to go through something challenging. If you wanted to look at boobs, you have to like hike out in the woods, open up the garbage bag and deal with like looking at boobs at that spot. Now, all they have to do is just go in the room, open up their phone or go in the bathroom and open up their phone and they can get anything they want. And I know it's going down a rabbit hole, but even think about by doing that, it it desensitizes them to seeing boobs in real life, right? And because like, you need the next thing and the next thing to make it a little bit more stimulating, more stimulating, and it's rewiring how they how they appreciate everything in the world. Yeah. I mean, you can watch on YouTube like a threesome, a four, I mean, not on YouTube, but they can find it if there's no parental controls on the computer pretty quick, right? So then you go into a relationship and is that what you expect? So so the entitlement has to do with the tech. Let me go on to the next one. Kids today, in your experience, Dennis, give up too easily. Agree or disagree? Agree 100%. What do you attribute that to? Like, is it is it the tech again? Is it the parents? A lot of these will come back to parenting, right? So as a principal, one of the, the conversations that I had most often and was most difficult for the parents was, listen, you have to let your kids fail. You have to let them if they didn't do the work in the class, let them get the bad grade. They need to understand that their lack of effort results in a poor grade. Instead of knocking on the door like, oh, can you change the grade to an A or give them an extra week? That's that's such a disservice to your kids because like it, it teaches them that if they don't do something that they need to do, there's always going to be the safety net like, oh, it's fine. Mom will, will call the school or dad will call the school. And it's not helping them understand that their lack of effort results in something that can be detrimental to them. And they don't understand that when they fall and they fail, it's an opportunity to learn something more about yourself. So I do believe that kids today give up too easily. And I do believe it's the parent's job to help kids understand they are capable of so much more than we're giving them credit for. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. So, you know, yesterday I had a couple students at my desk pushing back on a mark I had given them. And as I left the, the conversation, I thought to myself, why did they do that? And the answer is because it's worked for them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like they wouldn't ask for marks if this was like unprecedented. They know that it works. Like they know if they push back on teachers, they're going to get what they want. And so this like kids give up easily. Well, I think we've given them easy routes out. Like we haven't said no. We haven't said like, you know what? I'm a professional. This conversation is closed. We allow them. And then so this is how their brain, as you say, rewires a little bit. So again, I think it comes back to us, right? Like it comes to it comes to the parents. Exactly. So let me ask you about failure. I'm curious about this one. Are there times that you think parents should jump in? 
So I'll give you, I'll, I'll share a story and I'll, I'll answer your question within the story. When I was 12 years old, I was the victim of bullying by these, these three kids that lived up the street from me. I won't share the, the, the sob story around what happened, but basically um, the, the result of it was my father was basically called me a pussy. Like he, he wanted me to go and fight this kid who was two years older than me. And I was scared to death. No, Dennis, I give was, us the story. I heard you on another podcast. It's worth, it's worth. All right. So I, I told you a little bit about how my father believed we should be raised as, as men. And, and he was a tough kid growing up, got into a, a lot of fights. Well, anyway, so I, I made the middle school baseball team as a sixth grade kid. These three boys that I loved to hang out with, they were up the street. We would play sports. I was a good athlete. They were, they were older than me. They were two years older, Frankie, Louie, and Vinny growing up in central Jersey and <laughs> the stereotypical Italian kid names. Right. And I made the baseball team. They didn't, and they took it out on me. It was like my fault for making the team. So instead of being like, Oh, that sucks. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I was like, Hey guys, like, I'm, I'm really sorry, but look, can we go play baseball today or like play basketball today? And they first, they like ghosted me before ghosting was, was a thing. And then they started like picking on me, like making fun of me, the way that I looked, the way that I dressed, um, you know, flicking my ear, you know, spreading rumors about me. Then they'd see me in the hallway. They'd shove me into the lockers. And I remember I memorized their schedule. So I could go from period one to period two and not see them in the hallway. So I, I just remember that feeling of like viscerally how it felt. And then they started like really picking on me, like get off, getting off the bus, chasing me home, kicking my ass. I got jumped like three or four times. They'd throw rocks and sticks at me. I would come home with like a bloody nose and a black eye several times during the course of the week. And so now I would make up stories about how I got hurt to my parents. I didn't want my my parents, especially my father, to know. And what happened was I, we were going to baseball practice one day. My father was my coach. And on the way back from practice, we passed by their house. And I was just praying that he would take a different path home and they wouldn't be out in, in the street. And they were out there, right? So now we're driving past the house. And the three boys flip the bird at my father's van, yell out F you as loud as they can. But they said the big mama curse. And so my father pulls into the driveway and he's like, you know, what the hell was that? What was going on there? I thought you were friends with these kids. I'm like, dad, don't worry about it. Forget it. It's fine. I got it. He tells me to go, up, go upstairs and, and wait. He walks up to the house where they were. And I'm sitting in my room, like on sitting on the floor, like rubbing my hands. I get the carpet and I could still viscerally like feel the way that the carpet felt shaking. Now my father comes back after about 10 minutes and he goes like this. He's like, let's go, Dan. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. -on -one. And I was like, and like, like all the color went from me. Like I'm now I'm shaking and like started to cry. And he's like, let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. -on -one. Louie and Vinny are not going to jump in. And there's that fight, flight, freeze response when stress is happening in a traumatic way. And I couldn't move. Like I'm frozen yeah, now. Frankie now froze. I'm crying. Yeah. How old are you? You're this grade six. 12. Yeah, I'm so 12, 12 years old. 12 years and old. And these boys are 14. They're ready to go into high school, right? And so he looks at me with this disgusted look on his face. He's like, they were right. You are a pussy. And he walked out of my room. And he would he didn't talk to me, Adrian, for like a month. Wouldn't even talk to me. Then my mom walks in and she goes, you just lost your best friend, Dennis, your father. And she walks out of the room. So now, like, you talk about trauma for a kid. My whole brain is rewired about how I need to show up in relationships and things like that. But here's the way I'm going to answer your question to pull it back is when should parents come in and, and help their kids in situations like that? If my dad were to come into my room and say, hey, listen, I get it. You're having a tough time with Frankie, Louie, and Vinny. Like those kids are assholes, right? How about what, what do you need from me right now? Is there something that I can do? Do you want me to try to solve it with the school? Do you, do you just need someone to talk to? Do you, just, do you just want to cry on my shoulder right now? This is a lot you're going through. You're scared. How about I teach you how to fight? How about I teach you how to handle yourself. So just in case these kids come back at you again, you're ready, right? If, if my father were to say something like that to me, not, not letting me fall flat on my face there, but hey, I'm here to support you. I can be this support for you. That would have made all the difference in my life at that time. That's what I needed. And when I, when I talk to parents right now, Adrian, what I'll say is your job as a parent isn't to solve the problems for the kids. Like I look at it as you're like the lighthouse for your kids. So picture... On the shore, there's treacherous waters. Be the lighthouse for your kids. Your kid is, is navigating difficult terrains, right? So instead of getting in a boat and steering it away from the terrains for them, 
shine the light on the challenges that are coming up. Let them see the path, but they still need to be the ones that navigate through those difficult terrains. It'll teach them how strong they are. It'll teach them how to persevere through difficult situations. But they also know that you're there on the shore guiding them, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. it's being a lighthouse for your kids. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think, you know, you, you've hit so many parenting philosophies in that story. And, you know, what your dad went with and your mom too, they went with shame, right? And that was a strategy for motivation. Just like, it's like the gym coach as kids are trying to climb that rope. I don't know if they still do this anymore. Um, the guy just shame it. What do you want to be the only way well, you can't do it? What kind of versus the coach? And this is what you're saying you would like, would have liked for your dad. You, he, you would have wanted to be equipped and empowered. You would have wanted to be equipped with some skills. Is that the role of parents, Dennis? Is that how you see it? That the parents can provide them a skill set so when they're in the treacherous waters, they're able to row themselves out. Absolutely. And yeah. the gym thing, I definitely have PTSD thinking about <laughs> the rope in gym class. I grew up in the 80s to where we actually had to do that. Mr. Yasenko was my gym teacher when I was going through the, the ropes. And, and you brought up the idea of shame. It's the difference between feeling guilty and feeling shame. Like guilt is you did something wrong. Shame is you are something wrong. Like you are the problem. And so for me, that's what I did. And, and I do think it's the role of the parents. I do think it's our job to, to help our kids understand, like, the, the, you are so capable of doing these things. I want to be there to help you and to support you. And I'm here to listen. I'm here to ask questions of you. And I, I could go on and on about the importance of questions for your kids as well. But I'm here to do that for you, but I'm not going to do it for you. Because if I'm doing all these things and solving all these problems for you, when you're out in the real world and you're experiencing challenging situations, if you didn't learn how to do that at 12, 13, 16, 18, what's going to happen when you're 32 and all of a sudden you lose your job or your marriage breaks up or whatever it is, how are you going to be able to handle it if you've never experienced going through something challenging? It's tough for us as parents to watch our kids struggle, but we need to get out of our own way. In that situation, it's not about us. It's really easy to be like, hey, I got this for you because it makes us feel good that we can do that. But yeah. it's not best for what for what the kid needs. Any ever an occasion, Dennis, where the parents like should step the kid is heading towards getting a girl pregnant or like uh, drugs? Are there are there situations when the parents should step in and say, no, you don't need to learn this lesson through experience. I'm just going to protect you this time. Yeah, I look at it. And when I'm coaching young men right now, it's are are you in danger to self or others? Okay, like is the what you're experiencing right now? Is this experience the life lesson you're going to be taught a dangerous one? And can I help you avoid that? So that's something preemptively that I would encourage parents to do. It's like danger to self or others. And dangerous could be getting involved with the wrong crowd. I mean, listen, if you're hanging out with Johnny Smokestack on the corner and you're Vinny, you know, Vinny, Louie and the boys. <laughs> yeah, like if you're if you're beating up kids as they're going into 7-Eleven. That's a problem. Like, let me jump in beforehand. But a lot of it is, and I'll go back to our role as parents. It's not what we say to our kids, right? It's what our kids see us doing on a regular basis. And for you to, if you're, again, looking at yourself in the mirror, having that difficult conversation with yourself, like, what are the habits that you're embodying? What are you doing on a, on a regular basis? Does your kid see you come home from work? And, you know, polish off a six pack every night when you're just sitting there watching Netflix or watching every single game that comes on and you're telling him to do his work and to do something important for his life. But he's watching you become a, a piece of shit on the couch. Right. So when you when you're in if you're in that experience, like think about what your kid can see you do. Is it, you know, hanging around with the right crowd and doing things positive for yourself? And likely if your kid is is in the, that impressionable age range, they will emulate what you're doing. I think often it's hard for dads to know what to do because we talk in extremes. So what I'd love to do is paint a bit of a picture of the kind of like parent that you would say like that's like there's there's not there are some piece of shits on the couch. Right. There are there are some dads like that. Many of the men I know, Dennis, are like they're they're good men. Like, you know, maybe they could lose a few pounds. Maybe they have on maybe on their phone a little too much. But I guess what my question is, is what is what are the attributes of like a great 
father? Like, what are we looking for in men that goes beyond? I mean, the simple ones are like, yeah, don't lie on the couch when you get home from work for six hours. Everyone, everyone knows that if people can't get off the couch, those are tough people to sell to anyways. But what are you looking for in the men? I think one thing that we talk about in building men, Adrian, is it's the idea of, of masculinity, right? And I like to think about it as it's a, it's like where strength meets vulnerability. Okay. And it's this really, it's this really nice sweet spot where to be that strong, steady, steadfast figure for your children to, to understand like you need to be, and you guys do the men of bedrock, right? To be that rock for your family, that steady force for your family, um, not only physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, but also understand there is strength in vulnerability. I talk to my kids all the time. Like I am extremely vulnerable with my kids. I don't just say like, don't do drugs ever. I'll say, you know what? I had an experience that I tried doing a, a pot gummy one time and it was a total disaster. Let me tell you about <laughs> it. Like now that they're old enough to hear those stories and I like, I'll share these vulnerable experiences with my kids. So I do think that that's important. I think it's really important to talk to our kids about empathy. It's, it's instead of saying like, like, Oh, you know, if you should feel bad about these people, about what other people are going through, like, let's really unpack what empathy truly means. And another, another thing is like this idea of radical responsibility. I do believe like we need to teach our kids like through our experience of responsibility. So it's instead of saying man up or like teach your kids, you need to man up, you need to man up. Like, how about talking about showing up? Like, let's, let's change the, the narrative there. Instead of saying man up, man up, don't be a pussy. Like show up. If you, if you say you're going to do something, then do it. Like if you say you're going to be somewhere, then be there. And your kids will learn by your actions in that capacity rather than these just, you know, words that could be a throwaway thing. Yeah, yeah, show up, show up, show up. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go out with the boys tonight. When you have a soccer game, I'm going to go out with the boys and have 10 beers and miss what you're doing. Dennis, let me ask then, because show up, you hear a lot of guys say, you got to show up, show up. Many of the men I know, this is what the life with their kids looks like. And this is what it takes to make a living with recession and all these things. This, this is what it takes. You drop your, you get, you get a little bit of time with your kids in the morning, maybe. Then you're at work till 6 PM, right? Then you get home and you're going to soccer practice or baseball practice. Sounds like you did all of the sports, right? Yep. And then for kids, you know, my sons, my oldest is 10 and they're now on to homework, right? Like it's homework now, right? How do you show up when the kids are so busy? Like the kid, like, oh, and you're so busy. Like, you're. Let's say you're together each day for one hour. That might be all many families get one hour, and then they're getting the influence of the world, fifteen other hours. How do how do parents like become the most important voice in their kids' lives when they're with them? You know, so little percent of the time. I talk about it this way: we have 168 hours in a week. Right. This is this is what's on the books. 168 hours. We spend 50 hours of that sleeping. Right. You're getting a healthy amount of sleep, seven, eight hours a night. We're spending about 50 hours of that working or if you're a kid going to school. So now we have another 68 hours to work with and say 30 hours are taken up with their activities and their sports. It's being intentional with the, the free time that you have. So I don't say I say think about it intentionally. So look at your schedule. Look at your kids schedules. I'm, I guarantee you there's more than one hour a day that you potentially have. It's are you intentional with that hour or two hours or whatever it is, even on the drives to and from. Like I could do a whole podcast just on what do you do during the drives yeah. to the sporting event, after the sporting event? What do you say and not say to your kids? What I would do is I would have a lot of experience during COVID with my kids traveling. Like I – I don't know. We could, we could certainly get into the whole divorce piece because i you know, I went through a separation and then a divorce during COVID with three kids. And where I was living was about 60 miles away from where my ex was at the time. Now we're, we live about two miles away from each other. It's a lot easier for the kids, but I would have long drives with my kids. And so during those long drives, like I would put on, we would take turns putting on music that was important to us. And we would talk about why that song resonated with us. That's one example. Um, or we would we would start a story and tell a story from different perspectives. So being intentional, even with a drive to and from places, if I have an hour with my kids, that hour is not spent with me scrolling through social media. It's not spent with me on emails. It's not spent me texting. I'm going to put my my phone down and I have this hour with my kids. 
this is the time when we're 75 years old when cats in the cradle was playing and we're like wow i wish i would have spent more time with my kids well right now you have that time so be intentional with that time that you have with your kids yeah no i so let me ask you this i want to keep following this train because this is great this is what we teach in our program but the intentionality so take us into the car ride you say uh dennis you have a 17 15 and 12 year old yep um and you say, hey, guys, we just listened to this song. Let's talk about what it means. Let's talk about, like, how do they respond to that? Some kids will be like, Dad, come on. I don't want to do that. Like, come on, Dad. Like, leave us alone. Like, you know what I mean? Like, our dad used to do stuff like that. We yeah. do everything our dad did with us, with our families. Yeah. Now. But at the time, it was like, Dad, like, I just want to eat. Like, I don't want to, like, go around the table and say what we like about each other. Like, that's the kind of stuff our dad did, right? Yeah. How do the kids respond? So what I would do is I would start with one of them, like, all right, let's listen to um, to one of your songs right now. We'll start with you. So my one son, like, he's more into rap music right now. So I'm like, all right, put on a song. Tell me why you like that song. So we'll listen to your song first then. So he puts on, you know, a song by whoever, and he'll talk about it. And that, that might turn into Lose Yourself by Eminem, you know, and that could turn <laughs> into like a discussion around perseverance, right? And then my daughters will go, and now it's my turn. And I put on a song by by the Eagles, and all right, here's a line in the song. And this line is really important to me. And the line is, um, you know, so oftentimes it happens that we live our lives in chains and we never even know we have the key. What do you, what does that, what does that line mean to you, Sophia? What does that line mean to you, Jules? What does that line mean to you, Denny? For me, this was an impactful song to me. And here's why. And that just like, just that, like listening to music and just the multi-sensory piece of that, that goes a long way. Right now, my kids were, it was during COVID and it was during virtual learning where their parents are getting divorced, driving 60 miles twice a week to and from. I will tell you that they will never forget those drives. Tough emotional conversations that we had, but we spent this quality time together with intentionality. So instead of like, oh, this sucks, we got to drive, you know, an hour right now. It's like, they're looking forward to getting in the car and having these conversations and then that would spill into what we did at the dinner table. It would spill into other conversations that we had. Yeah, I love that. You know, and I think it maybe goes back to what we were talking about with Napoleon Dynamite. You've kept yourself relevant. I think that's important. I, I think I think many parents like are like these kids, TikTok. I don't know, like what I think as parents, we have to like reach into their worlds, right? Like you got to know what's up with Eminem, and I, that it's cool that your son listens to Eminem, right? That he's relevant, and then you say, hey, like let's watch Eight Mile together, right? Yes. Like let's sit down and and have this discussion. I think that's really really important um, that parents are intentional even in arming themselves like my son every day i'll say how was how was or what was the best part of school i try not yeah. to say how was school because he'll because then it's good fine right, yeah, that's right right Whatever. so what was the best part of school and he'll use the names of these kids right he'll use like you know niall said this and i i try to keep mental records so i can remember who's niall okay niall's his friend who did the right otherwise it's just like okay buddy and i'm going through the motions but you're really like in it with the kids let me ask you this any other like tips that like that that stuff is worth the cost of admission like the practical stuff it's such a teacher thing to do right like a song (laughs) analysis right but it gets the conversation going any other things that you would say like yeah like if you've got teenagers or even you know when your kids were younger you did that made really good use of those those hours you have with them I, i liked family games i like doing things like that not only for the the fun of the games, but also the, the discussions that those things lead to. And then if you're watching a show together, like instead of just sitting there watching it passively after it's over, pick out a character and say, Hey, they, th- that was a challenging experience that they went through right there. How do you think it felt to the supporting character? Or how do you think they felt when they went through that? What would you do in a similar situation there? So it's not this contrived place of, again, talk like bringing it back to porn. Okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about sex right now. This is a penis. This is a vagina. Like, instead of doing that, like, have conversations in the moment where it doesn't feel scripted. It doesn't feel like we're having the talk or we're, we're talking about bullying or we're talking where you're doing it in a natural way. And it, you're expressing this level of curiosity. And what it'll teach your kids is the importance of asking questions. And I have like you, you're such an unbelievable host in this capacity. Like it just feels like we're having a conversation that could bring value to other people. And if you're teaching your kids the importance of asking questions of others, that 
goes right into the idea of empathy. Like, how can you put yourself in other people's shoes? Well, ask people questions about how they're feeling and then try to feel through what they're feeling as well. Yeah, I love that. So some of these attributes, uh, we're trying to paint this picture of like, you know, there's certainly, we don't want to be piece of shit dads on the couch for sure. And we're trying to move. Here's some of the attributes you've given. And then, and then I have another big one for you. So vulnerability, empathy, radical responsibility, showing up, intentionality, and then curiosity. That's a great one, Dennis. Very good. So let me ask you this as you talk about games. This is something that comes up in our program a lot. What are your thoughts on letting kids win? So I look at it as one of the lessons that my father did teach me in a positive way was around this topic. And this, it's a controversial thing, not, you know, going all at it, not letting your kids win. Um, He told me he was a really good basketball player and I was, I played basketball growing up as well. And he said, I'll consider myself over the hill when you could beat me at basketball. And I, I took it seriously. So to me, I wanted to train I, he was a son of a bitch at times. So I wanted to train to so beat po- him. Like posting was, you up. Like he was I, like... I, and we're both, I'm 6'4", 225. Like yeah. we're both, we're big guys. But he just had a, he was like Steph Curry from the outside before Steph Curry was born. Like he was, he was a really good shooter. So um, when I was 15 years old, I finally beat him in basketball. And it 15, was, it was 15. a moment, 15. I, it was a moment that I will never forget. And he was in his mid forties by that point. It was a moment that I'll never forget. It was like a rite of passage for me to beat my father. So he could have let me win when I was growing up. And it wasn't like I was six years old and he was swatting, you know, the shots or whatever. But when we started (laughs) to play for real, and I would say like, if we're just messing around, whatever, but he's like, okay, we're, we're going to play now. If we're going to compete, and we're going to p- compete at this. I'll let you make that decision. Are we fooling around right now or are we competing? And if they're like, we're as his, as his son, yeah, we're going to compete right now. And he's like, okay, I'm going to beat you then. And I want you to try to beat me. So I think it's it's making that distinction. Having the conversation with your kids. Like if you're just in the backyard fooling around or whatever, like, all right, if, if it's a fun kind of thing. But if you're like, okay, son, let's, this is serious now. Like there's going to be times in your life that you're going to have to compete and the goal of the competition is to win whatever it is. And again, I could get on a whole thing about participation trophies, but it's okay. Then you go at it. You, you play your hardest and then it, it's a rite of passage for your kid to beat you. So in whatever it is, and I play to win everything. And my kids, my son is, you know, he's now a better basketball player than me. He could beat me in basketball. So for him, that's a big thing. But if we're playing a game around the kitchen table, God damn it, I'm going to, I'm going for the gold every single time. You have to then, but then you have to teach them like where I, where I become like a child when we're playing Monopoly, that's big in our house right now. I get like, Oh, coming into daddy's like coming into daddy's hotels. Right. Like I become a bit of a dick to them and I have to remind myself play hard, but play fair too. Like you don't need to be a jerk about it. Right. And then the other thing you can do is do things for them to like be on your team to do something. Right. So together you're trying to reach a goal. All right. So instead of being like, I'm going to play you the best basket. Like we're going to play basketball, me versus you. We're going to be like, together, we're going to try to make a hundred shots and let's count. And we're going to do this together, like a workout, like a chipper workout, like together, we're going to chip away 200 pushups. And so even if your kid can only do 25 and you have to do 175 pushups, you're working at this thing together. So you're standing on the same side of the fence, looking at the thing that you're competing against. So that's a way to, to instill that in him. Like we're still competing, but we're on the same team. I love that. What do you call it? A chip, a chipper workout? Like chipper. Chip, like a chipper. And chipper. So like, uh, this is something that I've done when I do like, like I've done a building men in person retreat for young men. And we'd be like, together, we're going to do 5,000 pushups, 10,000 squats, you know, 1500 burpees. And, and we have it up on the board. So whatever you do, you're going to like, we chip away at 1500. So I've done, I did 10. So we went from 10. Now we're at 20. Now we're at 30. So we're together trying to come to compete something at something physically i love this like this is this is the kind of stuff and my wife and i actually had a good run during covid because i think like a teacher so we like yeah. we had activities and and you could call them activities or exercise but these things work like the song breakdown right the family games the the chipper workout these things work and maybe if parents thought like i only have 10 hours with my kids how intentional can i use it they'd get some really good value Okay, let me ask you this, and then I have a final question. A second ago, you said, as you were playing basketball, you said, you said, son, you said this like with an endearing 
said it very indeed, yeah. like, like son. Right. And I think a lot of dads who knew dads, right. They have babies or like they embrace the like, yes, I'm going to be the man for my, cause the kids are cute. The kids are sweet. There's this like legacy piece you have. As your kids have gotten older, like teenagers are annoying <laughs> and they, and they smell and they're moody. Right. Like, have you been out? I hope that I hope that's not insulting. I work with teenagers. No, all listen, you know it's I mean? absolutely like the true. Big, disgusting. The, right. The biggest fights I also got with my dad were these years, the teenage years. It's when because yep. I thought I knew everything, right? At, at at 17. That endearing son, son. And you know, Rudyard Rudyard Kipling has that um what's that poem? If oh son, I I know it by heart. <laughs> Do you? yeah. Absolutely. And he says something like, son, if you can fill he says, oh, you want to hear it? If, yeah, you can fill, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Right. And that that is so endearing. I got goosebumps when you said that. There, It's like my son. How do parents hold on to that level of like son? One thing that I would say is I love you. I don't love what you did. I love you. I don't love this act. And let's talk about the act. So you're separating the child from something that they did. And I'll use the, the analogy as well about, and I talk when I, when I work with teachers, I, I talk about behavior management and, and there's this difference between an autocratic teacher, like the hardcore in your face, yelling, screaming teacher and the permissive teacher that just wants to be the cool guy and have everybody like him. And we're going to hold, but you're not teaching like responsible independence to the kids, right? And so what I do is I, I talk to them about instead of me and like me on one side of the fence, you at the other side of the fence looking at the problem, let me get on the same side of the fence as you and look at the problem together. Mm. So when they're being little assholes, because they will, like your kids will be dicks. And I, that is just part of growing up. Like we were dicks when we were kids. We sure were. You gotta, remember, you gotta remember that too, right? Yeah, exactly. And realize like <laughs> we did some dumb stuff and then imagine with the pressure of having a phone and someone recording everything that you're doing or having the pressure of like liking things and not opening up snaps from people. It's mind blowing. But being able to get along on the side of the fence with your kid, put your arm around him and say like, listen, son, let's look at this problem together. There was a mistake made here. So instead of it being you versus them, it's you and them versus the problem. And when they see you as an ally and them being better, it's a totally different thing than, oh, my dad's an asshole and he doesn't listen to me and he doesn't understand. I understand. I, I love you. You made a mistake here. We don't love this mistake. What can we do together to overcome whatever this challenge is? I love that. It's you and them. Man, this is amazing. I got so many notes here. It's you and them against the problem rather than you against them. Yep. Which I really like. I struggle with this so much, Dennis. Like when we, my boys are playing more competitive soccer, like, you know, rep soccer. And you're just like, I see their potential. And I, I just so desperately, like when they make mistakes, I probably am like a little bit shaming. Like, dude, you got to like move it. Like, what do you, versus I love this. Get on the same side of the fence. Right. And the, and yep. the problem, and the problem then becomes, whatever skill set we don't have or 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 maybe we didn't fuel properly before the re or the, the the game or whatever versus me against the, me against my own son <laughs> right on adrian and here's the thing too when you go back to the very beginning of the conversation with my father what could he have done differently in that situation if they are if they're if they're lacking in a certain spot instead of you being like oh kid you know, you didn't do this right or you didn't do that right. Like, think about yourself as a man, as a father. Is there something that you can do to support them to help them find more success? Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. and here's the other thing if your kid does really well at a sport, like your kid hits a home run, that doesn't make you a better dad. Right. If your kid strikes out three times, that doesn't mean you're a worse dad. And I could do a whole thing. We could get a whole nother podcast around reward systems with kids. Like, all right, if you hit a home run here, we're going out for ice cream. Or if your team wins the championship, I'll give you a hundred bucks, you know, and, and how that level of rewards versus like, like detriment, how that rewires kids' brains as well. And, and the, how that could be really detrimental to your kids' development. I mean, we could do a whole thing around yeah. that as well. Let, let's do that another time. Yeah. Um, love that. Let me ask you this last question before we tell guys where to find you. Your Instagram page is full of like inspiring quotes. And uh, I gave you a heads up on this one. So I'm not uh, putting you on the spot. 
Can you give us a quote or two that really shows the difference between boys and men or that shows like, look, this is what boys or, or children can become if we parent them well. So there's, I'm going to, I'm going to tell your audience, check out the, the poem if by Rudyard Kipling. That's one. There's another poem called man in the glass. It's an anonymous author. That's a really powerful one. Um, the way that I end every single episode of building men is go one step further than you thought you could go. I think that really speaks to it. I believe in the, this theory of of the zone of proximal development where you have you you set the bar just a little bit higher than what the, the, the kid thought that they can get to. It has to be still within. They think they could reach it, but it's like it's just a little bit further and with your support. If you have about a minute, I'm going to read you a poem that that speaks to me about our role as fathers for our sons or our role as fathers for for our children. So this is called The Bridge Builder, and the and the, uh, the author of the poem is Will Allen Dromgul. This is one that I used with Building Men as they were getting ready to graduate from the Building Men program. It goes like this. An old man going a lone highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The sullen stream had no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at the evening tide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said. There followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been naught to me to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I am building this bridge for him. Mm. Love it. The bridge builder. Oh, it's very good. I got chills there. You read those things really well, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you bring it to life, right? And that's that's what I'm hearing today. Parents can bring their parenting, bring their kids to life with this intentionality. I, I can't wait. I got to go pick up my kids now. I'm going to put a song on and we're going to listen and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. And that's, that's great. Dennis, where can guys, where can other men uh, find you? Uh, thank you for the opportunity, Adrian. I'm the most uh, active on Instagram. It's building.men. Building Men podcast comes out once a week. I had brothers Vincent, Adrian, Del Monte on. Great episode. Great episode. <laughs> it really was a great time. I, I appreciated yeah, yeah. your the vibe between you guys. My website is buildingmen.io. Um, I work primarily with young men in their middle and high school age range and their parents. Um, it's pretty much my my wheelhouse right now. Appreciate it. Uh, guys, go check it out. Dennis has got some great, great content on his Instagram. I uh, love the stuff that he puts up. Inspiring. And um, regardless of where you are on your own parenting journey, this is about moving to maturity, like becoming a fully realized man, regardless of your age, if you have kids or not. Um, I hope these lessons have been helpful. So Dennis, thank you again for being here with me. My pleasure, brother. Appreciate it. Yo, yo, thank you so much for listening. I hope you got a ton of value. And as a token of my appreciation for enjoying the show, if you don't mind leaving a five-star rating as well as a genuine review, whether it's a sentence or a paragraph, that's up to you. I would like to extend my gratitude by sending you a free sample of my all-day energy formula, Preload. It is the world's only all-day energy and focus formula, and you will love it. All you got to do is head on over to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, take a screenshot, and then send it over to me on my Instagram account at Vince Del Monte with your home address, and we will get that shipped out. You are amazing. Thank you, and we'll see you in the next episode.